I'm so excited to, to preach today. Um, found out on Friday that Pastor Mark was not going to make it. And, um, and I just jumped right into something that had really been like, you know, right here on my heart. Okay. And it goes right into our series on prayer. We talked about prayer last week and I talked about an abiding prayer, um, an abiding peace with God that we find in prayer in, in, in the secret place. And so um, we're going to dive in today. Let's look at Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. But now more than ever, the word about Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would gather to hear him and to be cured of their diseases. Verse 16, but he would withdraw to deserted places and pray. I would like to testify about something for just a moment. And I just want to go ahead and testify and say that the food we have in Brunswick, Georgia is, in my opinion, some of the best all around. I had a friend visit recently who lived here for a while, and now he lives away in a big city, and he just kept going on and on and on about how much he missed the food in Brunswick as we went from place to place, eating different things that he hadn't had in a while. And I wholeheartedly agree with him. Some of my personal favorites, Willie Burger at Willie's, pork chops at Nick's Buffet, French fries at Twin Oaks, anything at Gary Lee's, Chips and salsa from La Salsa, pork pops at Sweet Mama's, wraps from Wrap Happy, pasta salad at Angel's, wings at Cravers, hibachi from Kyoto's, Grandy's fried shrimp, and their breakfast donuts. If you don't know about those, delicious. This is just what effortlessly comes to my mind and scratches the surface of all the good eats we have here in and around Brunswick. I love the food here. I love the food in the South, right? Like grits, fried chicken, boiled peanuts, all of it. Give it to me. And I know that you guys are all looking at me and you're sort of saying, there is no way this skinny fellow loves food that much, right? (laughs) Touche, touche. In our modern world, we love food. And America is plagued with unfortunate food problems. We live in a culture of food excess and waste. The average household wastes 31.9% of the food it purchases on a given year. Meanwhile, some experience food injustice and live in areas with no grocery store within a reasonable distance, creating food islands where families eat from convenience stores and other small stores. So our unhealthy and sometimes unjust relationship to food in America is one example of how our flesh can drive our decisions and order our priorities, okay? And so uh, food becomes more than just nourishment to our bodies. It becomes a pleasure-seeking activity. And that is mirrored in any number of behaviors or areas of our life as pleasure becomes Lord and the director and the guide of our behavior, right? And so now, before we go any further, all right, um, and I promise I'm about to get to the primary focus of our talk today, I am in no way trying to shame anyone or make anyone feel bad for loving a good Willy Burger as much as I do, all right? I just listed some of my favorites, and I make no apology for loving and enjoying a good meal, okay? Um, I take great pleasure in a good meal. 
Um, but you know, there are people, and I've spoken to two individuals in the last month who struggle with body image issues, and food is a very hard thing to engage with for engage for them, right? Um, I'm not wanting to heap any more shame on anyone already battling insecurity. What I want to call attention to through food is our disordered living, where we desire from our flesh and how these desires steer our decision-making and control our feelings. And so if we're honest, could we be honest this morning? There are things that we desire that have way more power and authority over us than we would like to admit at times. And our society is like ideally positioned to sell you, to provide you, to tempt you, and market you the very thing that you lack self-control in. Like never before in history, gratifying our flesh's desires is radically convenient. And maybe we could just not address our unhealthy relationship to the desires of our flesh if those desires actually produced a flourishing life within us. But if we're honest, the pursuit of pleasure gives great return in the moment, but never lasts. And we chase something to bring us peace and contentment over and over and over. John Ortberg says, anytime you see a life flourishing, it is because it is receiving nourishment from outside itself. I asked this morning, what do, you, what do you use to nourish yourself and is it causing you to flourish? What do you use to nourish yourself and is it causing you to flourish? Is there a practice that Jesus demonstrates to us in scripture that church tradition has practiced throughout history that will help us overcome our unhealthy desires and nourish us. What was Jesus's secret to finding nourishment for his soul? This brings us to the focus of our talk today, to high-powered ancient practices, fasting and prayer. Big surprise on the, on the inaugural day of our 21 days of prayer for 2023. Today, we're talking fasting and prayer. Prayer and fasting. The two are intertwined, these practices. A, a one-two combo punch like no other. If you had to list out the top three pra- important, most important practices for a Christian today, what would you say? Right? Maybe going to church would come to mind. Maybe reading your Bible would come to mind. Uh, Maybe prayer would make the list. If you read Jesus' sermon in Matthew 6, his Sermon on the Mount, um, three practices that he highlights that display this true piety, prayer, fasting, and giving to the poor. Chances, Chances are for most of us, and maybe I'm just telling on myself, If you asked me, I wouldn't just naturally think of fasting. It maybe wouldn't make it into our top three most practiced spiritual disciplines. And please don't feel bad if that's you. You're not alone. I'm not up here to chastise anyone. I just want to faithfully lay before us the type of life that Jesus lived and invite everybody, myself included, to follow along and learn from him. Can we learn from Jesus? To understand Fasting biblically, let's go all the way to the beginning of our Bibles. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, all right? So in Genesis chapter 2, 
If we start in verse four, I think it is. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. What we see here is humankind is made from dust and receives the breath of life. The word breath here is ruach, which is the Hebrew word that would also refer to spirit, right? So the ruach, the breath of God, his spirit is breathed into man. And, and so man in this, in this, the Hebrew word would be adam, right? It's kind of how we've translated the word adam, okay? We get this word. So it's the, in Hebrew, it's adam, right? And then, uh, you know, ground, uh, the earth here that we're talking about dust, it would be adama, right? And so we see this like really close relationship with man and the earth, right, and being formed. And so we have this body, right, that's formed out of the ground, out of the dirt. And then what does God do? He breathes the breath of life into man. His spirit is ruach. And so as we think about this today, we acknowledge that we are not just bodies, and we're not, but we're also not just spirits. We're body and spirit. And in his book, Wonderfully Made, A Protestant Theology of the Body, John Kleinig says, we human beings are not just spirits like the angels, nor animated bodies like the animals, but we are embodied spirits, or if you will, spiritual bodies. In another place, he says, just as I live my entire earthly life in my human family, my spiritual life in God's family involves my body from its earthly beginning to its final, heavenly destination. My life in Christ is based on a physical event, my baptism, the washing of physical water accompanied by the speaking of certain words, joined my body with the body of the risen Lord Jesus, just as the rite of marriage joined my body to my wife's. Jesus now interacts with me physically with his spoken word that I hear with my physical ears, his audible word that animates me with his Holy Spirit and makes me a saint. Jesus also gives himself to me physically in his Holy Supper. There I receive his life-giving body and blood with my mouth and in my whole body. Through his body, and blood, he unites me physically and spiritually with himself and all other Christians. He calls and equips me to serve him bodily, that is, with my actual body and its individual members. So, paradoxically, my spiritual life, the life that is created and sustained by the Holy Spirit, is always lived in the body. So, as we understand the underlying foundation of our existence, we begin to understand the importance of and the role of fasting. Our spiritual and physical makeup help us better understand what's happening when we fast. 
See, you don't just have a body, you are a body, but you're more than just a body, you have a spirit. And so this integrated existence helps us understand fasting. Fasting is what Scott McKnight from Northern Seminary calls body talk, body talk. A way of praying with your stomach and body, right? And so here in the creation account, we see we are, we are body and spirit. If we go to Genesis 3, in verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Here what we have is temptation, right, from the serpent. And this temptation at its root, was to redefine good and evil. And we see Adam and Eve partaking in eating something that causes sin, right? And, but the, the, the sin is not so much in the eating, but in the redefining good and evil. It's in the distrust of God, right? Because it wasn't like they were not allowed to eat. There was plenty of trees to eat from. But in this one particular tree, this fruit, good and evil, was redefined and eaten. And so there was this uh, desire to trust the serpent's voice more than God's voice. And so this temptation still remains today, right? So today in our world today, uh, we redefine good and evil for our own convenience. And so we see here in the creation story body and spirit, but we see where this flesh comes in and this desire to be our own God, to trust our own way, produces all sort of disordered living and distance between us and God. Romans 7, 24, not a verse you're going to print on a t-shirt. It's probably not one you're going to read in your devotionals. Paul says, wretched man that I am, in Romans 7, 24, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Who's going to do this? Who is going to rescue us from this body of death? Anybody want to fill in the blank today? Jesus. That's right. Jesus. is Jesus. So let's jump to Matthew 4. Here we find Jesus having just been baptized by John the Baptist. The Spirit of God descends on him like a dove. And the next thing that he does is fast for 40 days in the wilderness. And so we read in chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And afterwards he was famished. 
the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so this story that we read here, Jesus, this really like powerfully connects and parallels what we just read in Genesis chapter three. Temptation coming in, trying to get us, get Jesus, get humanity to distrust the voice of God, right? And so Jesus here in this instance, unlike Adam and Eve, is able to resist the tempter. How? What do we read here that's going on in Jesus's life that allows him, that positions him in a place to be able to resist? We see how prayer and fasting postures Jesus. It positions him. It strengthens him in such a way to be near to God, to trust God's voice. See, after fasting, it says he was what? He was famished, right? His body was famished, but his spirit was strong. He was strengthened. He was in control of his body and he trusted God. His kingdom work here begins. Jesus' work, his ministry here in this earth began here with fasting, with prayer, with silence, with solitude. He had to disconnect. He had to get away, him and God, right? And that's a hard thing to do, to just disconnect, right? Some of you guys are like, listen, 40 days just to myself, I don't care if it's in the desert or not, like sign me up for that. <laughs> Could use some time away from all the things and all the stuff, right? It's hard to disconnect. We see here Jesus models for us the importance of being able to carve out in whatever way we can, some silence, some, sol some solitude to pray and to fast. So when we talk about fasting, what are we really talking about, right? Like, how can we more precisely drill down on what this practice really is? So fasting in the Bible, when we read the Bible, when we look at the Bible, we see fasting as abstaining from eating food in order to feed on the Holy Spirit, feed on God's presence. So have people, you know, and do people, and have I expanded fasting at times to other things like TV or social media or just coffee or sugar or whatever? Yes, absolutely. Like, you know, there's kind of been this modern sort of expansion into other things, right? Fasting, all sorts of different stuff that gets in the way. And I think that's great. I think that's awesome. When we look at the Bible, fasting is, the, it is primarily implemented, it is used as a means of abstaining from food, right? In the Bible, fasts are always connected to food, either complete fast from food, or partial, right? And so in Jesus' day, this was, this was common practice, right? And this wasn't even just like a brand new, like, like Jesus instituted like Christian practice. This is a practice of like religious leaders in Jesus' day um, would practice fasting. And throughout Christian history, men and women have fasted as a part of growing closer to God. In church tradition, fasting has been an integral um, part of, of, of the rhythm and the life of people who follow Jesus, right? John Wesley uh, would fast every Wednesday and Friday and have every, you know, um, one of the clergy under his direction uh, do that as well, Wednesdays and Fridays. Um, there are many different times where fasts were done through 
through Christian tradition and throughout time, right? There's one day fast, and there's one day fast that we read about um, that would last from sunup to sundown, skipping breakfast and lunch, right? But then kind of when the sun goes down, getting a good dinner, right, and, uh, and, and going to bed. And so um, there's fast that would skip all three meals, right? There's fast that lasted a week. There's fast that lasted 40 days. And so we see that there's kind of all these different kind of time constraints. There's all these different uh, kind of methods and ways of going about it. But we see that it is connected to abstaining for, from food for a spiritual purpose, right? Connecting with God. Fasting is not a hunger strike with God, first and foremost. It's not forcing God to do something, okay? Uh, we, we don't fast as some magical formula to get what we want, right? Well, God, I ain't eating until you tell me what I'm supposed to do in my life, right? Um, that's not the posture with which we fast in, okay? Uh, David fasted for a week after his son was sick, right? You can read that, I think it's in 2 Samuel. And he prayed to God to save his son, right? So we see a lot of times that, that fasting and prayer is connected together, that as, you, as people would pray, they would also accompany their prayers with fasting, right? So David's son's sick, he, he goes to pray, and he fasts for a week. And what was the result? His son was not healed, right? His son died. And so he did not receive the outcome that he wanted. So what did he do? He grieved, he mourned his son, and he moved forward in worship and trust to God. Here's the deal. Listen to this. His fasting did not save his son, but it did position him in a place of trust in God that no matter the outcome, he would have the strength that he needed from God to endure the loss, right? The outcome. Whatever it was, he was positioned close to God. And fasting and prayer positioned him close to God. So what often happens is you fast, right? Fasting today, no lunch, not getting a Willy Burger today, not happening, okay? So we fast, you get hungry, right? You get hungry for fill in the blank. And it's going to be like a strong craving, right? You feel it. And so you feel this sort of craving and, and, uh, and, and, you know, in that moment of resisting, you're telling your cravings they're not in charge. And you're positioning yourself to receive from God, right? We're telling ourselves, we're allowing these cravings in our bodies to push us to depend upon Jesus, Fasting starves our flesh, right? The, play, this is the, the flesh is the place, it's the seat of our disordered desires. And through prayer, we feed our spirits. And so fasting starves our flesh, the, the, the place that, that drives all of our disordered desires, right? Um, and then prayer feeds our spirit and strengthens us. And so we remember that our bodies and spirits are intertwined, right? They're intertwined. And so fasting feeds our spirit. The, this dip, discipline and practice of control over our body's cravings helps us with all flesh desires, right? And so I'll say it this way. So, so food is not bad, right? Food's not bad. There's nothing inherently evil about food. I love a good meal. Like I said, I don't feel bad about that. Fasting isn't making yourself feel bad for eating, right? It's choosing to abstain from something that's not evil. Right? It's not an illicit desire, okay? It's choosing to abstain from something that's not evil. And in our practice of fasting from food, we practice control over 
the things that are evil, right? The, the, the desires, the temptations that are evil in our life. And this strengthens our efforts to resist temptation of desires that are evil. This is one of the primary purposes of fasting. And so this creates a question. Is the power of fasting found in the practice itself? Right, because we could kind of begin to feel like that this is a method, this is a practice that inherent of itself produces life within me. And we have to remember, we have to recognize that fasting is not just some fad diet, right? Fasting is not just some sort of like self-discipline thing that we do. Yes, it does require discipline for sure. The life change that's produced inside of us through fasting comes and is found, the power there is found in Jesus, right? He's the one that can rescue us from our sin. And our sin, our, our fleshly desires, the days are numbered, right? The days are numbered on our flesh, right? Jesus is king. Jesus has won the battle for us. And so we are living into victory, right? And so this starves our flesh. Food is not bad. Food is not evil. This practical method of fasting, it positions us to draw near to God who has the power. God has the power to change us. God has the power to renew us, redeem us, cleanse us, heal us, empower us, comfort us, and grow us. And so in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, Dallas Willard, he writes this, fasting unto the Lord is therefore feasting, feasting on him and on doing his will. So fasting is an ancient practice that prepares us to focus, to, to, to hone in our attentions on God, his priorities. It's an intentional replacing of, of something that we enjoy to embrace another enjoyment. The true focus of fasting is God himself, his presence, his purpose within us. And so to be clear, our bodies are not bad. God created us in his image. He calls us very good. We have what the Bible refers to as desires of the flesh, right? So our bodies are not bad, but we do have desires of our flesh. This flesh is the seat of our disordered living, and that causes us to act in ways that bring harm to our bodies and to our spirit. And so through the practice of fasting, listen to me, we find liberation. We find true freedom. Freedom to walk towards the kind of human flourishing that God intended for us in the garden. Fasting and prayer go hand in hand. And we are removing and we are replacing, right? We are resisting and we are surrendering to God, to his will, to his purposes. Let's acknowledge something. Many things are coming our way. Many things are coming our way. We have decisions to make this year. We have jobs to do. We have families to lead. We have friendships to form. We have people to minister to. We have obstacles to overcome. We have temptations to resist. We have victories to celebrate. And we have losses to mourn. You need a practice that will position you in such a way that whatever comes, you will flourish. You will prosper. You will overcome. You will bear much fruit. Through the practice of fasting and of prayer, we disconnect from the flesh and we connect to the source of life. Thomas Aquinas, who lived in the 1200s, wrote, man cannot live without joy. 
Therefore, when he is deprived of true spiritual joy, it is necessary that he become addicted to carnal pleasures. Psalm 1611, the psalmist says, you show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's read that again. Psalm 1611. You show me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In fasting, we resist. In prayer, we surrender. Listen to me. The breakthrough that you need in your life might be on the other side of a commitment to pray and to seek God in the secret place. The breakthrough that you're needing in your life, the connection that you're needing with God in your life, his presence may just be found on the other side of your commitment to pray and seek him in the secret place, in the quiet place. Psalm 91 says, you who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Prayer and fasting draws us into God's presence where we find protection and refuge from the onslaught and the challenges that we face in the world around us today. I don't want us to walk into 2023 unprotected, unguarded. There is a refuge, there is a a protection, there is a foundation that we can find in our God. Prayer and fasting, these disciplines, these practices get us to this refuge, get us to this fortress that is secure for us. Psalm 32, verse six, therefore, Let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. Verse 7, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. Listen, there's nothing flashy about fasting and praying. It's not meant to be paraded around to other people. It's not what we share on social media. We're not getting pats on the backs from everybody for every week that we accomplish praying and fasting, right? There's not somebody handing out gold stars to us because we prayed and we fasted this week. It's something that we do corporately for sure, but it is largely a hidden practice. And that makes it a bit hard, right? Because we love to be recognized. We love to be seen for the things that we're doing. Jesus in his teaching talks about when you fast. And that's an interesting word choice because Jesus assumes that we will fast. And he says, when you fast, right? And he gives these sort of instructions about fasting and about how, you know, uh, because the religious leaders of his day would just kind of, they would go on and they would just sort of look very famished, you know, just to let everybody know, look how spiritual I am and, and how pious I am. I'm fasting, I'm holy, right? And so uh, fasting and prayer in this way that Jesus teaches us, it's, it's this hidden practice. And that doesn't sit too well with us, especially in our modern age, right? I'm not getting likes or people following me because I'm in the secret process praying. Nobody's giving me an attaboy, right? It's me and God. I'm fasting and I'm praying. So we engage in the practice of fasting and prayer within the secret place. 
And no one may see your sacrifice. No one may see your commitment. Listen to me. They may not see your steadfastness on Facebook. They may not see it. But I assure you, all of heaven is watching. God does. God sees. And he is the hiding place. He is the dwelling place. God is the resting place that your spirit and your body needs. The renewal you're looking for is found in him. The flourishing your life longs for, it finds its starting point in him. So we pray, and at times we fast to celebrate and bring boldness to our time of prayer. But we commit to these disciplines to get us to a place of dependence upon God's presence. We're like what we sang today, I need you more. I need you more, God. More than, more than the next Willie Burger, God, I need you more. <laughs> so what is God's presence, what is God's response to you seeking him? I'll tell you what it's not, right? So you may be thinking, Mark, I haven't been doing this, right? Like, this has just not been something I've been strong. I mean, you know, maybe I've, I've been praying, right? Uh, but fasting, that's largely not been something I practice. And, you know, to be honest, I really could be seeking God in the secret place more. I really could be withdrawing as Jesus did into silence and solitude. I really could be doing that more. And you know what? I, I actually do feel a bit kind of ashamed, right? And so when I go and I approach God, what, what's going to kind of be his response to me? I'm going to tell you what his response is not, it's not well, about time you prayed, about time you did yourself a little fast, all right? Oh, look who decided to show up. They've been doing that 21 days of prayer and fasting for about six years now. You finally decided to jump on in on that? My, my son talks about it in the Bible. You finally decided it was important for you, right? Sounds a bit silly, right? But I kind of create that caricature to help us confront the shame that the enemy would try to put on our lives. God's response, listen to me, please get this. God's response to us, when we turn to him, when we let go of some things that have a grip on us and we seek him, his response is one of delight and of love. Like a good father, like a loving friend. Jesus is near. The Father's arms are open to us. So regardless of your practice up to this point, we enter into the space of grace and we trust God and we take our next step we depend on Jesus and we try to follow him and we try to learn from Jesus so that we can live in this life and so that we can have life and our life can flourish here the way God intended not the way our flesh intends we can resist we can surrender the story of the Bible and this may be important for us to grab a hold of today the story of the Bible as a whole, 
is less about humans seeking to get to God and more about God seeking to get to his people. He loves you. He adores you. He made you. He delights in you. He longs to strengthen your spirit, to satisfy your soul, to bring rest to your body. God loves you. So run to him. Run to him. Run to the secret place. Get there. Get to that place where it's you and God. Seek him. Look for him. Resist some things. Create space. Find margins. Say no to some things. Practice fasting. Talk to God in the secret place. Listen for his voice. He's calling. And when we fast, we turn down some noise. And when we pray, we tune in to his voice. Father, lead us, guide us. We need you, God. We need you. Is there anybody here this morning that needs God? Who recognizes, you may be already looking at this calendar year, you may be thinking about this last calendar year. Oh, I need him. Like never before, I need him. I do have challenges, I do have obstacles. I do have decisions I've got to make. I've got responsibilities that are on me. I need some wisdom. I, I've, some of you, you have specific situations in your life right now that you're praying and you're believing God to move in. And the opportunity for us today is to step in to learn from Jesus. We're trying to, to you, you could use this word, apprentice him, right? To learn from him. And as we look at the life of Jesus and, and we look at in the Bible, we see this practice of prayer, but we also see this practice of fasting. And so we can commit today to these practices. 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church that we're in, it's just a decision that we've made to, to lead us corporately, but also individually into a yearly rhythm, right, of prayer and fasting. And so um, what I talked about today, this fasting, okay, this, this is a practice anytime. Right? Not just during the 21 days of prayer. You can take a day and, and fast, fast a meal, right? Give it to God. Doesn't have to be our church-wide 21 days, right? But we set this rhythm up to be a yearly reminder that at the beginning of the year, we're, we're declaring and we're saying what is important in the life of a follower of Jesus, right? It's to seek God through prayer and accelerate it and strengthen it through fasting. And so we, I, I want to see a revival, I do, in, in my life, but I want to see a revival corporately, and it starts with you and me. It starts with you and me getting in the secret place, seeking God, being renewed by him, strengthened by him. It's bringing our bodies and spirits into alignment with him and his will and his plans and his purposes. And so over these 21 days, I invite you to fast on whatever level is obtainable for you. Listen. Don't go full, no food, no water for 72 hours because you're all like, yes, let's go. I want to fast and pray, right? Don't, don't, if, if you've never like fasted and prayed before, like please do what is obtainable for you, all right? Do what is obtainable for you. Um, and, and please also too, just a word of caution. This is important and oftentimes doesn't get talked about. It is important to take 
careful consideration into your body's limitations when it comes to fasting, okay? And so people, there are certain people who really should have careful supervision and, and possibly even and, uh, doctor's input into this practice, right? And so, you know, there's people who suffer from weakness, from anemia, right? People who maybe have um, tumors or blood diseases or heart diseases, um, people who have other chronic problems, um, you know, maybe it, people who take insulin, right, for diabetes. There's all sorts of different things. Women who are pregnant and are nursing, all of these different things. Listen, we have to take this in consideration and be wise about fasting, okay? The goal of fasting isn't to put your life in danger. <laughs> God's not folding his arms like, really, you're going to let that get in the way, right? It's, it's, not, the, it's not the goal of, of fasting. Listen, if you can't abstain from food or, or, or miss a meal here and there for for due to medical reasons um, or what are other reasons, find something that you will abstain from and do it to the Lord. Make a plan, something sustainable. Sustained practice is better than insane practice, okay? I want to practice something that I can sustain, not something that's going to make me insane, okay? So if you can fast food, Pick where you will start. Maybe you fast lunch. Maybe it's just a couple meals. Maybe it's a couple days a week. Start with what is sustainable. Maybe it's oftentimes people like to follow a Daniel fast. Um, pick a time to pray. Start with what's sustainable and then pick a time to pray. Okay, because what's important is, is not that we're just denying our body's food, but, but that we're, we're, we're picking a, a time where, where we may acknowledge that I'm, I'm, I'm getting some silence and solitude and, and I'm seeking God in this moment. And, and as these things happen throughout our day, we're kind of saying, man, God, this is, this is kind of hard. This is kind of difficult, but I'm trusting you. And I'm doing this for you, God, for my betterment, for, for, for your purposes and to come true in my life. And so it's hard. It's not easy. And, and as a parent, right, you know, do what you can, you know. As a parent, you know, God bless me with children. He's not mad at me because taking care of my children means I can't invest hours and hours and hours in prayer, right? God's not wanting me to neglect my kids so that I just spend all day and all night in prayer. We have responsibilities. We have obligations. But there, are, there is time that I can set aside that I can pray and that I can seek God over this 21 days of prayer. And so I heard of a pastor who boasted that his church always fasted and prayed in January and his kid's birthday was in January. And so the kid never had cake for his birthday. Y'all don't do that. <laughs> don't, do not do that. Celebrate that kid. Let that kid have cake. Eat cake with your kid. Get him the biggest cake, right? Like, that's why we have young people who grow up and they leave the church because we place the yoke of religion on them instead of the yoke of Jesus. We disciple them into fake piety instead of a gospel of love and grace. And that's a message for a whole nother time. This is to draw us to Jesus, relationship with God, okay? So go easy on yourself. Do what you can. Start where you are, right? God's not grading you. There's no rubric for this, right? But what we are going to do, what we are going to be unapologetic about is, is, is setting our sights and our attention and our focus on God. And we may not do it right. We may not do it perfectly but we're going to do our best to seek him, to run to him, to the source of life. 
And so corporately, we'll be gathering over the next 21 days, um, Monday through Friday, 7 to 8 a.m., Saturday, 10 to 11 a.m. I understand that that schedule does not work for everyone's schedule, right? And so, um, you know, you may say, oh, well, if I can't make it to those times, does that mean I'm not really participating? Listen, this is a time for us to gather corporately. And if you are able to make it, please join us, right? Please join us. But if you are unable, again, pick your practice, pick your time when you will set aside time to seek God in prayer, right? We also have prayer times, uh, Monday night prayer. We have Tuesday night prayer here that you guys can get information about. The time should be in the bulletins. You can check out and see when you can show up here to pray if you are looking to gather corporately with other people. But this doesn't stop me from seeking God individually. Will you stand with me this morning? Here's what I want to do. I want us to end with the song that we sang at the end of worship, I Need You More. And what I want to do is I want us to just declare it today. I, I mean to sing like from within us. To go ahead and set the tone for this 21 days of prayer individually and corporately that God, I need you more. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today, Jesus, and we celebrate what you are doing in our lives, God. And we gather here this morning, Lord, uh, to, to worship you and to magnify you, Jesus, and, and we just proclaim in gathering here that we need you and we desire you, Father God. Lord, we thank you for moving in our lives, Lord, and I'm praying for our church congregation, the individuals here, Lord, the lives represented here. Jesus, I just thank you so much for the people here, God. And Lord, I'm asking for your spirit to be poured out upon them, Jesus. I'm asking that as they open up themselves to you, Jesus, that you move in their lives in a mighty and a powerful way, God. I'm asking, Lord, uh, for revelation. Lord, I'm asking for wisdom for the people in our church. I'm asking for sustainment, Lord, for strength. God, thank you for being our fortress and our refuge and our strength. We run to you, Jesus. And we find joy in you, Father God. We seek you, Jesus, and we love you today. And it's in your name that we pray. Let's sing this together.